Thank you. We got a twofer for that one, Ryan. Uh, as, as this comes up, uh, I have been uh, doing a lot of a lot of work, a lot of thinking, which has been stimulating to me. I I am a, a an adult learner. I know how to stimulate and and pursue and question and and develop myself. And and I've just kind of grew up uh, in my life thinking that uh, there are not a lot of people going to be around to stimulate me or ask questions. That's been my experience. And so I grew up not expecting people to come into my world because I was a self-made independent uh, guy that uh, I didn't need people. I could figure it out myself. That really uh, characterized my life since my dad was gone. I had to grow up. My brothers were in Vietnam. I got into, uh, when I got into Mexico City at age 26, I was in uh, the mission field, and uh, for the first time in my life, I hit a depression that I'd never had experienced before in my life. I'd given my life to Christ. I thought I was doing the will of God. I had surrendered everything that I knew how. And uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever dealt with depression, uh, you realize that you can't get out of it by yourself. It's a pit that will take you down and down and down. And what you need uh, in times of real desperation, you need faith, you need hope, you need love, of course, but you need friends. In New Mexico, I didn't have a friend there. I went to, uh, and I was with a church, I was with a group of people that were very godly, very mature, but I was scared to death, to be honest with them, that I was not doing well. You never have that problem, do you? <laughs> sure you do. I know you do. In the course of that time, uh, there was a man that came to me, and he said a word to me that was all I needed. His name was Sam Clark, and Sam was like Moses to me. He was one of the first missionaries in Mexico. Sam had a coffee cup that was so black on the inside because he never washed it, hadn't washed it for seven years. That was his trademark. Sam looked like Moses. He had this shawl on, he came over. And and, uh, Sam came to me and he said, you know, Jerry, one thing I know about you He says, you want to do the will of God. That's all he said. And it wasn't so much what he said was the fact that there was someone who came into my world who knew my heart and would speak a word of encouragement. Proverbs 25, 25 says, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. If good news from a distant land comes, how much more refreshing it is from a friend who comes right next to you and says, I know what you're going through. In our day and age, uh, we are so used to programs and and, uh, performances and uh, organizational events that we will miss what Paul is getting, or what uh, the Lord is getting at here in the book of Acts with this story. Uh, The story of Barnabas. And so I want to invite you to do a couple things 
to think about how God uses you to speak to encourage people in your world, because I know you have those opportunities as well, because people around you are not doing well. They are not still in their soul. They're looking and they can't find Christ. And yet for us, we have a Bible here, and I want to focus today on two things. I want to focus on, uh, as we teach about Bible study, how you do the Bible, I want to I use this uh, time to share with you how to do uh, a character study in looking at the man Barnabas. And then I'm going to look at some of the lessons as we get into Barnabas that he can teach us about being a man filled with the Spirit who is able to move into the lives of people to be called a son of encouragement. So let, let's begin with this. You realize that, that we live outside of the Garden of Eden and therefore we live in a fallen world where you rub shoulders with disappointment every day every single day and yet we have a bible where god has recorded the lives and struggles of men and women from all the ages and what they went through is written for you for this is what david said it says let this be written for a future generation that somewhere down the line your story will be read by somebody else and he says that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. And God's going to use these stories as he's going to use your stories. But he wrote these down for the purpose that you would find Christ in all that we go through. For Abraham, he went through a lot. As you know his story, we won't go into his story except to say that Paul picked this up, that the words... Uh, that it was credited to Abraham. What he went through and what he learned through his faith. Hi guys, come on in. You can't, just can't sneak in here. So when you look at how the Bible was written, uh, writing these stories down, but it says it was not written for him alone. And so if you understand that your story is not just about your story, your story is to be shared in a community, and therefore the word of God written in your heart becomes known and read by all men, as Paul would say. And then he goes to the Corinthians, another Gentile group, learning about the Jewish stories, and he says these things happened to them as examples and were written down. As, they, as the Corinthians would read them, they were written down as warnings for us for whom the, on whom the accumulation of the age, culmination of the age has come, 1 Corinthians 10. And for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And therefore, I will say again, that if you are not in the Bible, you are not being filled with the Holy Spirit the way that the Spirit wants to encourage you through the writings and the teachings and the, and the, the insights that are here. So I've said before, when a child of God gets into the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God makes him into a man or a woman of God to mature in understanding life from God's perspective 
instead of turning our backs on God and being independent and struggling on our own, there's a whole series of stories in the Bible. And so when I think about you as, as, a, as a church, as a pastor thinking about I'm to feed you, it's one thing to come on Sunday morning and to be fed through a sermon, but this, I'm telling you, this is regurgitated information. <laughs> this is my study given to you to encourage you on one hour on Sunday morning. But would you only eat one meal during the week? No, you eat every time. Well, how many spiritual meals do you eat during the week? Therefore, if you are not personally nourishing yourself daily in the Scriptures, to read the Scriptures, then you're starving. Your hope may be emaciated. Your love may be weakened. Your, your faith may be kind of blowing in the wind because it's not very strong. Therefore, let me encourage you to get into the Bible, to read. And so today I'm going to go into one of these things. Do you have a favorite book in the Bible, in the Old Testament? And by that I mean you've read this book once, twice, ten times, forty times, fifty times. This is your favorite book. Do you have a favorite book in the Old Testament? Favorite book in the New Testament? How about when you boil it down into stories? Oh, there's so many stories. Who's your favorite character? Anybody, anybody have one you want to mention? Samuel? There's lots of stories. Samson, Jonathan and David. How about Jonah? You think about all these stories and all kinds of stories that are there. Well, I want to go into the story of Barnabas. And I want you to think with me on two levels. One, I want you to learn how to do a character study. So this isn't doctrine. This isn't going to be a seminar. This is about learning to read a story in a person's life. And so as we go into Barnabas, uh, when I mention the word Barnabas, how many know much about Barnabas? Uh, yeah, not a lot of people. And so Barnabas is one of these fascinating people because he's like you. He's like me. He does so much in the corner. If you're an introvert, you'll really appreciate Barnabas. He may be an extrovert. We'll figure that out as we go along. But I want to look at Barnabas's character. Now, what do you do when you study a Bible character? Let me give you some pointers. First of all, you want to choose somebody. Ruth, Naomi, Isaiah, Job, and John in the New Testament. Uh, Timothy, Silas, Onesimus, uh, all these guys. So you, you find the character, the guy you want to study. And I don't know if you identify with him or not, but you want to choose a person, that, and why would you choose that person so you know your heart? But once you find the person you want to study, you find all the passages that refer to him or her, and you go through and you, you try to find all the New Testament passages or the Old Testament passages. They usually aren't that big because some stories are very small. The big guys, David, there's, there's all over the place. Paul is all over the place. And so find passages and then read through all the passages once, twice, three times to become familiar with the different contexts where these uh, passages refer things to you about your character. Three, find out as much as you can about the place of the character 
where they lived and the customs of the days. You may go to extra biblical materials, the encyclopedia, uh, the internet. Uh, there are bi biblical resources. And if you don't have a, a Bible dictionary or a Bible encyclopedia, one volume, those are things that just are basics that everybody should have. You don't have to know the Hebrew. You don't have to know the Greek. You just have to get some of the what references, what people have said about them. And then you want to put yourself back in their situation to think about the times, their life, the choices that they had to make that might be similar to yours. So as you, as you pick up a, a story, you really are listening with the intent of, I want to get to know this person. I want to, I want to understand this person in such a way that it, not, it becomes more than just a story it becomes a friend, part of the fellowship that you have with the saints of old. So you begin to collect pieces of information about the name, the family, where they lived. And then you record any unusual influence, experience, relationships, uh, hardships, environmental factors that shaped their experience, their, their thinking, their attitudes. And then I ask questions like, well, who is around this person? What are, what are the relational connections? Uh, who do they know? Who do they not know? And who is the one that really influenced them? And so you begin to ask this. You begin to follow through and think about these relationships. It's really wonderful. And then you begin to ask the spiritual questions. Well, how did they get to know God? How did they get to know Christ, to know the Holy Spirit? And so as you begin to ask these questions, you really are pulling apart the passage to, to meditate and, and imagine that you're there. And then you go on to ask some other questions. There's, there's tons of questions. You get the idea that you're trying to pursue and develop uh, an understanding of what this man, woman was like. What did they achieve? What did they fail to achieve? What were their values? What attitudes did they have towards the government, towards soldiers, towards the Lord, towards the apostles? But when you do all of that, you summarize it with one or two verses that really capture the essence of the story, capture the essence of the character. And if you can do that, that's a great verse to memorize. And that's one of the things that I do to memorize. When I study something, I tag it with a key verse so I remember it. And I go back to that. But you, you ask the question, what's the big idea? Why did God's Spirit preserve this person in this book so Christians of all time would come to understand about Mary, about Zacchaeus, about Lazarus? See, you don't know everything about those, but you know the key big idea that they represent, and therefore it's important. And then what were the problems that they faced? What were the issues that they really had to deal with when you think about that person? Well, we're going to go to this guy, Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas uh, was first a disciple of Christ, and then he became the unnamed apostle. You don't hear much about Barnabas. He's silent in the corners working away, but he is the invisible apostle who does so much. Let me take you to his town, his place. He's from the 
country of Cyprus. Anybody been to Cyprus? No? So you don't know much about Cyprus. I would encourage you to use YouTube because you can find out a lot about Cyprus. But this, I want to show you a little bit about Cyprus. So you get a, an idea of how I think about Cyprus. If you notice, Cyprus has got uh, uh, all kinds of protocols that would be natural. And two in particular, I want to point out two cities. is Salamis up there on the right-hand side, on the east side, and Nicosia. And then one on the other side is Paphos. Now, that's just information. doesn't mean anything until you realize that I think that Barnabas may have been from Salamis or Nicosia. You'll notice in this map, there's a mountain range called the Trodos, go back here, the Trodos Mountain. It's an island, and so right in the middle of the island, right in the middle, you've got those Trodos Mountains. And Barnabas lived just probably north of the mountains. I don't have facts on that, I'm guessing, but some of the ministries, the Jewish communities that were there, were uh, uh, all over the island, but I think they went first, you'll see in a minute, they went to Salamis and Nicosia up there. But Barnabas walked with Paul on the first missionary journey. He walked this island from Salamis all the way to the other end. Now think about that. You're going to walk with Paul, and here's Cyprus, so you get a picture. This is the island of Cyprus overlaid on the map of Ohio. And so there's Akron at the bottom. Elyra, is that right? Is that how you pronounce Elyria is on the left-hand side, and up there is Erie. But you can see, to walk the distance from Erie to Elyria, how many miles is that? It's a good distance. But they walked everywhere. And what happens when you walk with people? You talk. The way they got to know each other was to walk and talk. If you don't walk with somebody, you won't get to know them. Well, this country, this Cyprus, was overtaken by the Egyptians, by the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Turks, the British, and anybody else. I mean, it was a country that was so desired that everybody wanted to be there. Why would they want to be there? Well, it's a beautiful little island. Recently, when they, the Muslims went in there, they've occupied a lot of the land. But in Barnabas' time, it wasn't the Muslims, it was the Greeks. And therefore, the Greeks had the influence over the Jewish temples, and that's why they were called the Hellenistic Jews. Meaning, they weren't tied to Jerusalem, they had strong influence from the secular Jewish culture, and it shipped it shaped the way they would think. Well, Barnabas was part of that community, but he was, he was Jewish. And he was not only Jewish, he was a Levite, which means he belonged to the priestly tribe of Levites, and therefore his dad and his granddad and his great-great-granddad, he comes from a long line of Jewish tradition. But they're in Cyprus. And so now you have an international Jewish community in a non-Jewish culture. And so there's tension. Not only was there tension politically and culturally, but that island had a lot of earthquakes. And therefore, 
if it's not war that was going to come in and destroy them, it would be the earthquakes or the culture or something. But this guy, Barnabas, was called the son of encouragement. The son of encouragement. Now, his name wasn't Barnabas. Did you know that? You know what his real name is? Jonas. Or Joseph. Or Joseph, depending on who you, depending on which one you read. But his dad was a priest, and so he grew up in a godly home. But interestingly, uh, as you learn, and this is not in the text, in our text today, but you have to go outside. He had a, a cousin named John Mark, who was the one who actually wrote the Gospel of Mark. You'll find that in the scripture. Uh, he may have had a brother who was Aristopolis, who uh, went to Britain to share the gospel and later became the Bishop of Britain. We don't know about his mom and dad. Nothing is written. So everything I find is from the extra-biblical extra material. His dad may have died. His mom may have died. No wife is mentioned. No kids are mentioned. So I assume he was single and free to travel. But his name was uh, uh, John, Joseph, Joseph or Joseph or Jonah. But he's called Joseph. Uh, Joseph in, uh, in the culture of the time, the word bar means son of. So Barnabas is son of Nabas, or son of encouragement. This, you know, as you read through, you hear the name, hear the name Simon Bar-Jonas, Bartimaeus, the blind man, uh, Bar-Sabbas, the, the apostle that was put up and was rejected by the, the, uh, to fill the Judas slot. Barabbas, Bar-Jesus, Barcos. It means son, Bar. We know this. This is not a strange thing because we have the same custom in our culture. The son of Tom becomes Thompson. The son of John becomes Johnson. Son of Smith makes a museum and it's called the Smithsonian. And so we're used to these names. But what's interesting about Barnabas is that his name is never mentioned again after this passage. And everybody, everybody knows him as Barnabas. It was the name given to him by the leaders. The Apostle Paul refers to Barnabas five times in the epistles, Luke 23 times, but never once by the real name. Therefore, that which stamps this man, which is known clearly, is he was the son of encouragement. Now, I have some questions. And when you do a character study, you, have some, you should have questions. And the questions I have is, how did he connect with Jesus? When did he connect with Jesus? If you think about these, this development, do you know when he connected with Jesus? In Luke 10, it says that Jesus sent out 70 men. And there are some references that say, from Clement of Alexandria, one of the church fathers, it says that Barnabas was one of the 70 men in Luke chapter 10. So that meant he was with Jesus from at least Luke 10 on. He may have heard the Sermon on the Mount. He may have seen a lot of the healings. He may have walked with Christ as a disciple, but he had 70 other. You see the group, you see the community coming around. Barnabas' experience was 
the body of Christ, uh, we all are in a movement of this one called the Messiah. But he was called in early in Luke 10, but somewhere he left Cyprus and shifted over to Israel. Now that's important because in Israel, if you were a Levite, you could not own land. But it was allowed and permissible for a Levite in another country to own land. Now that comes into play because when he leaves Cyprus, he is, if his father and mother were gone, he probably had land back home that he could sell and give to the Israeli, the Jerusalem church that was growing. A little tidbit there. But from Cyprus, every time they saw Barnabas, these apostles would look at this guy and say, wow, what a great guy. He's always encouraging everybody. Every time you see Barnabas coming up in Scripture, and you're going to see him coming up in Scripture, you're going to see he is doing something actively to show his good works that, that you learn a lot about this guy, that he really is a lover of Christ. First and foremost, he's not ashamed of Christ. He is a disciple who is there uh, in Luke 10. He was there at the cross. He was there in Pentecost. He's been there all along. But everywhere he shows up, the leaders say, this guy loves Christ, sold out for Christ. He was a servant leader. You'll see a story coming in to see Paul when nobody saw Paul or had hope for Paul, Barnabas did. Because he, see, he sees the potential in people, not looking at the people. He sees beyond. Barnabas had this vision. He was generous. He would sell the land. He was a giver. You see um, that he was called to be an apostle. He was called to be a missionary. And he was a fat man. Fat. Faithful, available, and teachable. And wherever he went, wherever, whatever he was asked to do, he was willing to do it. His spirit was such a different kind of spirit that these guys were, are gems for the apostles. He had a redemptive vision. Remember, he's Hellenistic Jewish by background. And when the Spirit of God came upon the Gentiles, Barnabas saw that, that God was interested in the whole world, that God who loved the world, who gave his only begotten Son for the world, that the world, not just the Jewish people, but the world. And Barnabas understood that because he had a redemptive vision that loved people. He was wholehearted. He didn't hold anything back, whether it's money or time or energy. He was an all-in man. So he was wholehearted. And he had uh, insight into the suffering. And I think that's the issue of, of, of his own background, which we don't have a lot of the story, whether it's through the death or the pain or the destructions that they went through. But Barnabas had a sensibility, a sensitivity to what was going on. And therefore, he was called the son of encouragement, the son of comfort or exhortation or consolation in another translation. But he always would go beyond his group, beyond his tribe. He was not going to be tied down to this block of people. He was open. He was open because he was a heart with two feet. 
And therefore, what Barnabas had was an eternal perspective. That he knew that God was using him to bring the Gentiles to Christ. And at this stage in Acts 4, he's going to open up. He's going to be part of the transitional team that you don't hear anything about. And therefore, he was not a proud man. You don't hear him. He was willing to let Paul come in and take the lead. But he found Paul, which we'll get into. Well, let me, let me summarize it by saying this. As we move through the book of Acts, I want you to pay attention to these characters and ask these questions. Because the church needs more people like Barnabas. But at this point, you see the guy that's going to be developmental of the church Andre is going to be here next week, and he's going to share another character that are just the opposite, which, which is Luke's way of showing the contrast between the spirit-filled people and those who are not spirit-filled. But when Barnabas came upon people, he looked for the grace of God to be poured out. And when Barnabas saw God at work, he moved through those doors and he became the very vessel minister of grace, the friend that touched people when they were weak, hurting, suffering, but he'd always pull people back up. And therefore, this man was titled the Son of Encouragement. What a great name. What a nickname, Son of Encouragement. As we go through, as you think about thinking about the characters that you meet, read deeply, read richly, read meditating on the people that you meet because these people were written for you. Let me stop here, but as we go through the book of Acts, I want you to get that same kind of excitement to say, okay, Lord, okay, Barnabas, what do you have for me? And you can learn from these guys. Right, let me close with a word of prayer. Father, would you take your word now Open us up and receive this message. What is of you, uh, would you take deep? What is of me, would you blow away and uh, let people forget? But would you build us up like you built Barnabas up? There's so much more here, Father, but we'll stop for today. Thank you for this man and his ministry. And thank you for his influence in my life, even when we go through times when we need encouragement to be like him. So Lord, uh, Make this church filled with Barnabases. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.